This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. I love this show. I love doing this show, creating it, working with Jerry and Mark to further the truth about the scourge of hunger and food insecurity across our state and nation. I love the candid creativeness of Mark Blackwell, our esteemed producer here at WJR, where we we record. The show started seven years ago, and our guest list looks like a who's who of policymakers, influencers, and leaders who trust us and believe in our mission. The second-term sitting governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, was a guest on this show in just the third month of her candidacy, and it was in this studio that an organic idea came together to create Michigan's first and only Food Security Council. The current Speaker of the House, Joe Tate, has been a guest. House Appropriations Chair Angela Whitwer ran for her seat with food security being a top priority for her. Senator Roger Victory, a farmer who partners with us to curb food waste and get quality product to people in Michigan and beyond who struggle with enough access to fresh food. Senator Stabenow, current head of the U.S. Senate Committee on Agriculture and the author of five farm bills, has been a regular on, in our studio. Policy wonks like the super energetic Monique Stanton, heads of health care like Brian Peters at the Michigan Hospital Association, Dominic Pallone of the Michigan Association of Health Plans, all the way to teenagers who started a nonprofit to help meet the protein needs in their community. Experts in food waste, agriculture, food sourcing like Scott Piggott. We've had listeners on the show like Doug Obersky, who never misses a show, all the way to business leaders like Greg Viner from Huntington Bank and Rachel Hertz from Kroger. What a show. None other like it in the universe. Well, as far as I know. I'm proud to have you with us on the 9 p.m. hour here at WJR or listening on the podcast. It is a privilege and not one that we take lightly. Today, we look back on 2023 and highlight a few guests and their comments that caused us to think, feel, and be inspired about this work of creating a food secure state. Jerry joins me next to recap this year on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry, great to see you here in the studio, and I'm excited for this show. I can't believe it's been another year. My goodness, you know what? You don't look a day older, Doctor. You still look young and fit and ready to tackle the world. Oh, uh, you're saying I looked old when we started this show seven <laughs> years ago, so that's really what you're saying. Hey, this first segment that we're going to pull out here from our, our highlights from 2023 is Patty Graham, who is the CEO at Meridian Health. Now, Meridian's a little different, Jerry, because they were started by a family for the purpose of only serving people who are on Medicare and Medicaid and dual eligible. 
And Patty has some great things to say here about our responsibility to this population. I know you really identify with what she's going to say. You know, I can say this. Uh, She talks about how important it is to see people as neighbors, right? And we talk about people being worth investing in. You know, it, it is that neighborly feel. But she goes right to the heart of the matter and says, it's not about what you intend. It's about what you do. I'm going to let her say it in her own words. But what a great reflection reflection on something that we think is critical to solving this problem. Thank you, Patty, for taking the time, the CEO for Meridian Health Plan. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. So we're, we're, we're uh, kind of old hat at this because uh, our mutual friend and colleague, Deb Muchmore, got us together for dinner. Yes. And uh, our teams talked, and man, what a great conversation. So Oh, my goodness. I I, I think of you now as the meridian difference. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Well, and certainly we wouldn't do the work we're doing if we weren't dedicated and devoted to making a difference. So really appreciate it. And, you know, you made a one, you know, one and a half hour dinner turn into, I think, four hours and it felt like five minutes. So it's just wonderful. It was a a lot of fun. Yeah. Very nice. So tell us about Meridian Health and and why, you know, we're on Food First Michigan, we're here on the policy conference, we're trying to elevate the issues that many of your members and our clients are facing, uh, particularly food insecurity. So tell us why Meridian would even be interested in that. Sure. So Meridian's been a part of Michigan for 26 years. We were... um, we're headquartered in Detroit, Michigan. We've got staff throughout 2,100 people who live and work in Michigan. Um, and we support government programs, specifically Medicaid and, and Medicare and dual eligible uh, citizens of Michigan. And much of that work, that dedication to service, is making sure that folks get, have what they need. And particularly when we think about the way we connect things like food insecurity, we're looking at the whole person and how important it is for us to be connected, not only in the communities, but also able to connect back to the whole person's health. Um, And oftentimes I've heard people say, people refer to Medicaid recipients um, in a way, and oftentimes I like to say that they're they're just our neighbors. Mm. They're, They're people that are in our lives every single day. They may have been us in a season. Um, And so how do we help each other be better and collect kind of our resources to make sure we're more efficient and can get those deployed? One other mention, I think uh, we talked about this before, but I I think we judge ourselves based on our intention and we judge others based on their action. And if we give each other just a little bit more grace, there's likely an opportunity for us to do better always. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. And, and the actions is what speaks louder and makes a difference. That's right. That's right. Uh, Patty shared that at our dinner and I wrote it down. I've been using it. And the first time I used it, I actually gave her credit. But then you're not going to. But the 30 <laughs> times after that, I haven't. Uh, so um, That sounds like you. Yeah. yeah right. right. Steal from the best. So, so um, Paula, that has to just warm your heart because AARP obviously is standing in the gap for senior citizens and 
Absolutely. And then to find someone like Patty in her position of influence and leadership having those same values. Absolutely. And what you said about the whole person, it's not just, you know, a segment of our population. People don't realize that if you're hungry, if you don't have food, then that impacts your family, impacts your grandchildren, impacts your housing. Food is like the number one issue in someone's life. And so but not waiting till you're older and then figuring out food insecurity, but looking at the whole system. How did you get there in the first place? What do you need to do to make certain that never happens again? And I look forward to the day when we don't even have to talk about food insecurity at all. I think that the other interesting thing is we often will segment populations by the type of people, whether they're um, elderly or young or or babies mm. and or mothers, but really much of this conversation is about household. Right. And we've got lots of people who are living in multi-generational households. We've mm. got lots of, you may have children that are in school, but often people don't have children in school. So when we think about resources and how they're deployed, that household approach is so important. Well, I think that even would, we don't have time to do this here, but the, the discussion about minimum wage, in my estimation, is the wrong conversation. Mm-hmm. Household income is the right because of the fact you just right. multi-generational. So, so one of the reasons people will say they come to food distributions uh, is because someone moved home mm-hmm. and now they're having to spend that money on right. the needs of the person sure. that they just took in. Whether it's a mom-in-law who mm-hmm. now needs medicine, well, I can buy the medicine or I can't pay the utility bill or whatever, and so food is, a, you know, they're not giving away free electricity. Right. If they are, sign me up. But, <laughs> you know, there are places like food banks that you can get help with with food, and that's a, it's like money, mm-hmm. you know, so. Right. And there's think, that sandwich generation, right, where that, that middle-aged person is taking care of a young person as well as their, yes. their parent or their, their mother-in-law or father-in-law or whatever, and they're sandwiched in the middle, and that food doesn't go as far as it used to go. That's right, that's right. Well, and even kids, uh, I had a conversation here on the porch, uh, the, the Mackinac Policy Conference, about the number of adult children who are moving back home. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, it puts a stress on, mm-hmm. the, on the budget mm-hmm. there. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the reasons that I keep moving and not leaving a forwarding address <laughs> so my kids can't find me. But it, nonetheless, it's, um, it's, I just... From our dinner, Patty, uh, until today, I've just been thinking about a story you told about kids in Michigan and the need for eyeglasses. Oh, sure. Yes. It's an interesting... There's a couple of things around resources and where those resources are deployed. And oftentimes, we may have the first step of a process, but we don't have it see to completion. Um, And so one of the things that I think we do well at is connecting to that member story. Mm. An example would be children who are screened for vision screening in schools. Um, We know that they may need glasses, and their propensity for success is drastically different if they get those glasses or if they don't. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes we have the screening and we might have the prescription, but we don't have the glasses. And so when you think about that, the opportunity we have to connect the resources with those that need them, it's not necessarily about funding necessarily. It's about connecting of people who can. And we've seen great results in areas where we're able to screen and deploy glasses and have done pilots where we screen folks and deploy and have the, them sent either to the school or to the home and find that they're not only more satisfied, but they have what they need, not just the piece of paper that tells them what they need, mm-hmm. which I think is, is um, 
silly, right? As, a, as people, we think it makes sense to do certain things. And you can write it down, but it doesn't always mean you do it. Yeah. That's, and, that's powerful. Yeah. And you decided to do something yes. about it. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think that's one of the great things about the way we connect resources and people. I think another, thinking about food insecurity, oftentimes um, our, our teams are deployed to do things um, to help communities. And then we're making decisions. And one of the things I'm super thankful for is the partnership with Salvation Army. We, Captain Jamie, Jamie Winkler in Detroit, uh, we participate on the bed and breads trucks. And often that is um, something where if you, if you haven't volunteered, everyone should, but it's deploying resources throughout the whole community uh, 365 days a year through meals. And they're emergency meals, right? Mm -hmm. And so is there a possibility that we could think differently around deploying those resources in a way that's doesn't need to be every day. If it does, that's fine too, but certainly humbling when you think about what you can learn from people working through different challenges in life and then also having that experience to understand how the consumer experiences right. the things we call benefits. I, I like that idea of the member story, yes. which tells me you're listening. Yes, absolutely. And one of the things you always talk about too, Dr. Phil, is the dignity and the respect. And so being able to make certain people maintain that while they're getting the resources that they need, because we all need something at some point in our lives. And so having yeah. that kind of like the dignity that's attached to that, if you need glasses, if you need some additional help or support, how do you get that support yes. also is important. Yeah. yeah. She's Patty Graham. She's the CEO for Meridian Health Plan. She's, she's our awesome. Guest. She's awesome. That's true. <laughs> and she's our friend, colleague, and partner in this great work. So thank you, Patty, for being with us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I told you you would really like Patty. She's She speaks Jerry's language. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Hey, coming up next in our next segment is Lou Rubel, who is the Chief Deputy Director for Opportunity at the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And Lou's been on our show several times. You come back and be with us when Lou joins Jerry and me right here. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back. Hey, we promised Lou Rubel would be up, and, and Lou is here with, he was, he was on the show, he's been on the show a couple of times with us, and as I said in the previous segment, he's the Chief Deputy Director for Opportunity. Um, and we talk about being overwhelmed with opportunity a lot here. Jerry, um, Lou has, a, has a, a passion for the population that struggles with food insecurity. And just remember, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services provides a lot of uh, the, the services for people in need in our community all across the state. They're a very important state department. Not that any of them aren't, but you know what I mean to say. Right. And so... What I really was touched by was how Lou started talking about the face of hunger could be anyone and is anyone and and is your neighbor where you are. And it really brings it home. I mean, I, I appreciated what Lou had to say. Let's listen to him. 
you know the impact that hunger has on children. Whether you care about the elderly, you know the impact that hunger has on adults who you know we want to be able to age with dignity. So across the age spectrum, um, regardless of where you are in the state, this is absolutely a critical issue that uh, we all um, have motivation to solve together. Um, with that. Phil, I think that we, you know, we have some things in the works that are going to help with it. Um, but the reality is, is you know, there's no single solution to a problem um, this sophisticated. Um, but we all benefit when we can work together in order to do so. Well, we do, we do work together, and we appreciate you and your leadership very, very much. And you and I served together as, on the governor's uh, food security council, and uh, thank, thank. Thank God that we, in my mind, we, we, we took our gifts and we blended those together. And, uh, you know, you, part of your gift as a leader is, you know, to actually be very good at herding the cats when their tails are on fire in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> and and that's, that's, that was the work that you did. And uh, I think Michigan is better because of it. And that goes along with all the work that you do every day. So I, well, thanks, I Phil. You're, you're welcome. It, it's heartfelt and it's true. It's easy to say because it's true, but don't let me interrupt the conversation you and Jerry are having about defining the problem because that's the first step uh, that leaders take. They they define what the problem is. And and one of the things that we think is important as we as we talk about more people coming for help. Um, one of the things we want to avoid is perpetuating stereotypes, right? So it's, it's common for people to have an idea in their mind about who's hungry. And, and then when you say there's more people coming, they just take that and multiply it by whatever the number is that you, that you see more people. It's, it's not that people, uh, as an initial response to this, go, oh, I probably got to think differently about, about who really is coming for food help, right? Instead, they go, oh, well, I saw that homeless guy at the Viaduct, and it's probably more of them. So, so one of the things I want to do when we talk about the need going up, I think it's also really important to talk about who are we talking about? Right. It, it really isn't one uh, one homogenous group of people that that are the need. Right. And, and when we when we look at the types of people who get, for example, who are who get our low wages, but who are working every day and getting their kids to school and all those kinds of things, it's it's people that look like National Guardsmen. And police officers and firefighters and teachers, retirees, right? It's, it's, it's people who are at the band banquet at school who come to volunteer and they might even bring something for the potluck. But on the way home where you're going home to do whatever you're going to do, they're making a stop at the pantry first because they can't feed their family. It's it's and it's so many stories. And I think that's one of the points you were making, Lou, earlier when you were saying it's going to be a multifaceted solution because the stories reflect a very broad and diverse group of people who need some help. And the other thing that that we find is when we offer unfettered access to food, in other words, you don't need an appointment, you can just show up. Our data says the average household comes twice a month for three or four months. 
So even though you hear about things like multi-generational poverty, and I'm not saying that isn't an issue and something that we have to talk about, when you look at people's behavior around benefits and, and taking benefits that they need in order to, to make ends meet and to, to survive and thrive maybe even in their life, the stories are a lot more complicated than just people taking something and not doing anything about it. So, so I just want to put that out there because I think as we talk about increased need, it's, not, it's, it, it, it's a complicated increase of different people who could make ends meet before who can't make ends meet now. Yeah, that's a, a, a great point, Jerry. You know, and, and one of the things uh, that I think underscores what you had just offered is, you know, in professional circles um, that I run in, obviously this this topic will come up, you know, probably on more occasions than, than most people because of, you know, what, what I do for a day job. And it's amazing to hear um, the stories about people who had to rely on, you know, the, the food assistance program, for instance, for a short period of time, you know, when they were younger or when they were a child in a household, et cetera. So your point's a good one. Um, this uh, hunger can affect uh, people from all walks of life. It can affect people from, you know, all parts of the state um, to the point, honestly, Jerry, you know, where it's it makes it harder to solve, right? If it was yeah. a certain person um, in a certain area, we could, you know, flood that area with resources and take care of the problem, but it's so widespread and complicated. You know, um, we know that, you know, things like, uh, you know, housing costs plays into food insecurity. We know that medical costs and access to medical care, you know, can, can be a disruptor and economic shock to families. We know that even you know what families pay for um, have to pay for daycare and access to daycare benefits and things like that plays into this. Um, so you're absolutely right when we look at kind of the face of um, of hunger when we look at the recipients of food assistance. It's not you know one one individual that you know we can put in any type of box. Um, you know we know there's some things that uh, tend to lead to higher rates of food insecurity. Um, you know we know that you know frankly families with children. Um, often are, are more at risk of food insecurity, especially if they are um, headed by um, a, a single parent. And if that single parent mm-hmm. is female, rates go up. Um, we know that Hispanic and black families uh, have a higher rate of food insecurity. And then if uh, there is a disabled adult uh, member of the household, that is one of the key predictors of food insecurity as well. You take all of those things that I just read off, and truthfully, that could be uh, pretty much anybody at any within any part of the state of Michigan. Um, it is incredibly widespread and a diverse problem um, that we need to figure out how best to uh, to make progress towards. And I think our one of the things that's changed in in the way we see uh, our responsibility in this, and this I'm talking about food banks in particular here, but I think I could probably include, uh, you know, all of us who are working on basic needs work in the various capacities we have. And in the past, you know, need would come, you'd meet the need, and then you'd be moving on to the next thing, right? <laughs> and I think now we're we're just a lot more sophisticated about saying, okay, we still have a responsibility to see what's happening and to respond to that, right? That we are a first responder for people who have basic needs uh, issues, right? And we will always be that. It's a really important role that we play. But now we do a lot better job of saying, okay, how much of this is permanent? How much of it is transient? How much of it is, is you know, um, 
here with us that that we can actually build systems around to solve and how much do we not know yet so we can't we don't want to spend too much time building systems about stuff we don't know enough about right so this community engagement work and talking to people and understanding better what people actually want and need and how do we meet them where they are i mean it's just so the tools we have to do this work are so much better but that's inspires us to believe are part of the reason why we believe that this is a solvable problem. It doesn't mean we have all the answers because we don't, but working together with your data and our data and the smart people that we all work with makes us have more confidence that we can solve this, but it's work. It's it's not simple. It's not it is a lot of work and to add to your both of you and your data points, uh, our friends in Ohio just to the south of us have reached out to their network, and I'm going to share this and we'll take a quick break. 68% of the people coming to the food bank network had to choose between food, transportation, and gas. 66 reported they had to choose between food and utilities. Which one are they going to play? We call these trade-offs. 55% had to choose between food or medicine and health care. Jerry, I can't say enough about Lou Rubel. He's been a great partner co-chaired with me the governor's food security council and believes in the work of food banks all across the state you know he brought a pretty sizable team two gleaners to see our facility you know hands-on and not just for himself but for his whole team to really appreciate what food banks do and you know that that says a lot about somebody when they when they put their feet on the ground and get out to see a a awesome experience well there's there's few leaders like lou and and in, in, in and through state government. We appreciate him. But the next highlight we have for everyone is this firecracker of a leader, Monique Stanton from the Michigan League for Public Policy, who joined us here to talk about uh, the, the Working Family Tax Credit, otherwise known as the EITC. Join Jerry, Monique, and myself here for our next segment. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. So, Jerry, it's time for Monique, and, you know, there's a lot of great things that have been done, um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking all the way back to, to, to Patty Graham and what she said. It's not what you intend, it's what you do, right? <laughs> and, and you know what? Uh, Monique Stanton talks about how her favorite piece of legislation was to get the working family tax credit uh, through. And and the fact of the matter is, with inflation being one of the biggest reasons people are coming to food banks today, this this really is going to help them make ends meet. You know, it's going to help that, what do you say, doctor, you have more month than money? Right. This is going to make that, that, that money last a little longer in the month at least. It's a significant improvement in people's lives. Let's listen to Monique talk about it. Great. Thanks for having me. Let's dive into some of those. Uh, we've had some really cool things happen because in our Feeding America network nationally, uh, when I go to those meetings with the other state association directors, they will often point to us in Michigan and say, how did you guys get that done? So I'm going to say of all the policies that we've had adjustments to and created, what's your favorite? 
I would say the earned income tax credit, working family tax credit in Michigan. I think that is something that transforms people's lives. It was a long fight for our organization. Uh, we It was first created in Michigan in 2006 at a 20% level. Uh, then it was reduced in 2011 to 6%. Mm-hmm. We were part of that fight to make sure that that credit wasn't eliminated uh, completely because we knew down the road, it would be easier to increase something than create something new. And this year in Michigan, we were able to get it to 30%. And that that means dollars in the hands of families that are low income. And those that can be used for things like food and utilities and childcare and medical bills. And, and the other piece that I love about the earned income tax credit or the working families tax credit is that it was a coalition of mm. organizations and people from both sides of the aisle, a wide range of groups from organizations like us and you guys and uh, chambers of commerce and banks and business and united ways and philanthropy saying that this was a priority and it was something that we were able to actually get done. I love that. And the coalition building. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just so much positive momentum. It would have been really hard to mm-hmm. say no to this. And it makes such a difference. And again, I like the aspect that Michigan was, did I hear you say was the first to have a program like this in 2006? And No. So so there is a federal tax, uh, federal earned income tax credit. We are many, one of many states. And in 2006, we were able to create a Michigan-specific okay. tax credit. So it actually started uh, at the federal level under Gerald Ford. So we love right. our, our Michigan president. <laughs> it was expanded under Clinton. I believe it was expanded under Bush. And so this is something that has a long history of bipartisan support. In our in our hyper polarized climate, I think it's important to point to things that have true bipartisan support and a history of, it, of doing. It that. did unite us. It did not mm-hmm. divide us. Correct. You know, anything we can do to make work pathways better for low income people is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Anything we can do, because again, so much of what we depend on in our life is that history of our work. Where did we work? How long did we work there? Did we get opportunities for a promotion? I mean, the fact of the matter is, the more we incentivize work, the more we enable and empower families over the long run to be, it's, you know, self-sufficiency is, is the lowest standard, right? What we really want is to move from sufficiency thinking to abundance thinking. Right. And we know that the most common pathway to abundance is whatever that work history is. And it, it can be in entrepreneurism. It can be, you know, working in a company. It can be working for yourself. Right. There's so many things that 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 can look like. But a tax credit that that incentivizes and supports and helps promote a work history that's richer and longer ultimately has a huge impact on families And that's what we want, right? That's what everybody wants. That's what families want. You know, sometimes, you know, one of the things we talk about often is how the people imagine that families uh, don't want that, that they'd rather do nothing and get something for it. And it's so not true. Right. It's, it's so, absolutely not true. It's, it's not it, the story of anybody. Right. That's that, And <clears throat> that kind of thinking is pretty stigmatizing for people that are low income and are struggling. So one of the things that's important about the earned income tax credit and some of the other types of support when we talk about healthy Michigan and Medicaid expansion is that when you're struggling, whether you, if you can't 
get to work because your car broke down and, and we have an abysmal transit system, right. whether you're in Detroit or the UP or Northern Michigan, transit is an issue in our state. If you are struggling with health, uh, if you can't get childcare, it makes it impossible to go, go to, to go to work. And so when you're living in poverty and you're struggling, you're really making choices between difficult things. Do I make sure that I get food on the table or pay my gas bill so I can have heat? Do I pay for my child care or do I fix my car? And things like the EITC help alleviate some of those burdens to support families so so they're able to, to get on a, a better path in life. I'm thinking Abraham Maslow would have probably voted for this legislation. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about hierarchy <laughs> of needs there. here, right, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So the just to put a bow on this one and then we'll go to the next your next favorite one uh, Jerry when you talk about you know uh, just thinking about sufficiency it's not enough we need to think about abundance I think the same way about bipartisan many of the issues that we're going to talk about today in my mind are nonpartisan. right they're just good policy that incentivize work and help people bipartisanism is often the lowest level that you can agree upon right. we should be agreeing much higher than that on some of these ideas that we're going to talk about today because they're good mm-hmm. uh, they're morally good they make good financial sense they help people and that's what the wealth of the nation is really designed to do right Right. Right. So so one of the things when we talk about the budget in Michigan, whether you're talking about our state budget, local budget, county budget, your personal budget, these are oftentimes choices around what you value, especially if you have discretionary funding. Uh, And so at the state and at the federal level, we are making policy choices about what we value. We see the budget at, in, at the league as a moral document. So things like childhood poverty are policy choices that we should not be making. And if we have the momentum to make a decision like expanding the child tax credit, which we did temporarily at the federal level, we saw a sharp decline in childhood poverty. Right. When we increased the child tax or when we dropped the child tax credit, we saw an immediate subsequent, um, you know, more than doubling of childhood poverty in the United States. That's a decision that we made. And that's something that has long term consequences Mm -hmm. with toxic stress for children, brain development that we don't have to make. And so we want to make sure that we're using our dollars for things like the earned income tax credit, for equitable school funding, for expanding free and re- free uh, breakfast and lunch in Michigan, so so kids and families have what they need to, to thrive and and be successful. Jerry, one of the things I love about that segment with and the whole show with Monique Stanton from the Michigan League for Public Policy was how the EITC or the Working Family Tax Credit took a coalition. And it proved the principle that we really try to live by is that we are truly better together. Without a doubt, doctor, without a doubt. Well, come back and join us for the last segment because Jerry and I are going to talk about not 2023, but what's coming in 2024. You come back and join us. Well, welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here, and our wrap-up show. So we wrap 2023 
What what are you thinking about 2024 there, GB? Oh, there's so much going on, right? I mean, and we're always looking ahead. Uh, what do you say about leadership's thinking farther and faster and better? I can't remember. Uh, you know, this is where... Better, beyond, and before. There we are. There we are. So, uh, so in that spirit, we got an election year coming up. And yeah. you know what? There's going to be candidates to talk to, and we want to know... What are they going to do about food insecurity? What is their investment in this uh, work that we're doing together that benefits the community so much? We think it's important, and you're going to hear those candidates on our show. Well, that's true. It is very important, and 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 policy matters, thereby politicians matter. So, But also, we have some things we've been working on for several, like food is medicine, and we're not going to let go of that. In fact, we kind of see it as the next frontier and we've got our own Dr. Dawn Opal, who's kind of leading the charge there. We're going to have to get Dawn back on the show to give us the update. Well, we know we have got to continue to find a way to reach seniors. And seniors have more contacts with health care. And when they get to that point in their life where their health concerns are preventing them from getting assistance because they can't go places, right, we've got to find a way to, to, to get in there and and provide relief to those seniors. And so food as medicine is one of the strategies that we think is going to make a difference, not only for us and our work, but for the cost of health care and, and what it really means to, to manage this bigger issue of how do we make sure that we're good stewards of every dollar. Well, and on the other end of the spectrum, we talk about if kids aren't well fed, they'll never be well read. We talk about that for elementary and middle school and even high schoolers. But Jerry, a huge problem that's erupting is also on the college campus and food insecurity there. So we are going to hear from people both working on college campuses to address this problem and from leaders on college campuses who will have ideas about what does it really take to make progress on this issue like everyone. College students don't want to talk about if they're having those kind of troubles, right? And especially students who are actually helping their families while they're going to college. It's a complicated issue, but there are answers, and we're going to be talking to people with ideas. Well, there's a lot more to talk about. We're going to make more progress. This is our calling. This is our mission. This is what we're going to do, and we're going to continue to put and keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.